we sure do cover a lot in this interview. And I really enjoyed talking with Talita and getting to know her and her journey uh, in learning English. I really appreciated just how open and honest she was about the challenges involved in learning a new language, in moving to an English-speaking country and trying to live your life there. It's all it's a journey. It really is a journey. And today as you listen to this episode maybe for the first time, I want to encourage you to listen for what that journey was like for Talita, the things that she had to overcome and the feelings about herself and the way she viewed her English as she got more and more involved in this English-speaking country where she was living. I bet that you have had to face challenges like that. Or if you haven't, if you haven't moved to an English-speaking country like Canada, for example, or the United States, if you're just preparing to make that move, I really want to encourage you to listen closely to Talita's story. She's not the only one, you know, that I've heard, that I've listened to, that I've talked with, who has gone through or who is going through moving to an English-speaking country. Her story has a lot of similarities. Not all, not everything is exactly the same as the people that I've talked to and that I know, but there's a lot of similarities in there of like feelings of uh, not like thinking that you have a certain level of English before you move. And then when you actually do move, you realize that, or you might realize that, oh my goodness, my English isn't anywhere as good as I thought it was. And there's feelings of failure, like feelings like maybe maybe I've made a huge mistake and I should go back home or what have I done? I I, I really identify with the things that she shared and I hope that you can I hope that you can maybe you identify with her story as well. But not just on the difficulties that you'll have to face, but also on the ways she was able to keep working at overcoming those obstacles and those challenges because you will face them. Uh, everybody faces those kinds of obstacles when you're trying to learn something new, like a new language. And especially when you're trying to move to a new country, it's not always easy. And it's important to arm yourself with that kind of knowledge or that kind of understanding that, this might not be simple. I, I'm probably going to have to push really hard in order to make my life work. And in order to, for me to grow in my English skills, like what we were talking about, what we will talk about uh, earlier on in the interview is about how long it took us to develop our fluency skills and how long it took us before we felt comfortable speaking in our second language. That also is important to keep in mind. We we tend to think that, or we want, we want, maybe that's a better, maybe that's a better way to phrase it. We want to have quick success. We want 
you know, to be able to to master our language skills quickly. And sometimes those things just take a long time to make happen. I say in the interview that I've been working on my Spanish skills for, you know, over 20 years because I am. And while I'm definitely, you know, much, much better than how I was when I first started, I still run into trouble today. I still struggle sometimes with finding the right words to use or feeling shy or embarrassed when I need to use Spanish. So, yeah, arm yourself with that idea that sometimes these things take time to grow and to develop. And maybe you're never going to be able to sit back and say, there, I'm done. I'm finished. It's an ongoing process of learning. Those are some of the takeaways from from this conversation that I had with Talita. And I, I really enjoyed getting to talk with her. And we're still in touch. And I, I enjoy staying in touch with her. And I want to encourage you to go and check out her stuff. There's a, a link in the show notes where you can find out more about Talita and the programs that she has to offer. As you'll hear, she's a wonderful teacher, a very friendly person that I know you will enjoy uh, getting, you'll enjoy getting to know her. So I encourage you to reach out, say hi to Talita and and tell her that you heard about her on this podcast. She she would love to hear from you. If if her story resonates with you and inspires you, let her know. I, I know she would appreciate a word from you. Have a great day, and please enjoy this complete episode where I am talking with Talita, and there is no editing in between episodes. It's going to be the full interview. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next edition of the Speak English Fearlessly podcast. Today, I am very honored and thankful and excited and kind of nervous also to be talking to a special guest. Her name is Talita. And I'm not even going to dare try to pronounce your last name. Is it Rochetti? Yeah. uh, Well, yeah, it's it's an Italian uh, last name. So it doesn't matter. Ideally, it would be Rocchetti, but I don't even pronounce it that way because I'm from Brazil. And in Brazil, we say Rochetti, or uh, in, in English, people say Rocchetti, Rocchetti. So uh, whatever feels good for you, feel free. <laughs> and to begin, I would like you to maybe tell everyone, our listeners, all about who you are and what you do. Oh, thank you. It's uh, it's my honor to be here, honestly. I am really happy for this opportunity. Thank you so much. Um, so you already said my name is Talita. I was born and raised in Brasilia, which is the capital of Brazil. And I've been working as a language teacher for the past 14 years. And nowadays, I, I'm also a, a teacher mentor and a learning designer, which means that I 
I help designing online courses and I try to figure out different ways to learn online. I work with, yeah, online projects uh, mostly. And is that on your own or do you work with a company? Um, I've been working with another, with other teachers. Uh, I don't do, yeah, yeah. I, I collaborate with other teachers developing courses. Okay. Um, so you were born in Brazil. Yes. Right? So that right. means your first language is Portuguese, right? Exactly. Okay. So what made you decide to learn English? Why did you why did you decide to make that big change in your life? That's a, a bit of a long story. <laughs> so I'll try to make it a bit short. <laughs> no, you can tell the story. I'd love to hear it. Okay. Um, well, I always, um, first, I don't know why. I think language is something that uh, is part of my life. My my grandma was Japanese. She tried to teach me a little bit of Japanese. I think I always had this interest in learning a second language. I didn't learn Japanese though. It's in, it's on my list. <laughs> but I um, I had the opportunity to do. To, to get in touch with English uh, and I always wanted to, to have to, to study English, but I didn't have the opportunity until I was 15 years old. So um, in the meantime, when I, uh, before I started my, my English course, I used to listen to the radio, uh, to listen, listen to music on the radio, listen to CDs, and I tried to translate uh, music lyrics uh, using my pocket dictionary. And I say that because uh, if you were born before the 90s, you probably understand what I, I just said. <laughs> if you're younger, you probably... <laughs> right? <laughs> So some people will not understand what I just said, but that's okay. <laughs> you can you can always Google it. <laughs> yeah, well, it was before Google. It was when we used books. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no internet, so we had to just uh, buy magazines to see the lyrics of some songs or oh, the songs that we used to listen in the radio. That was so old school. But yeah, I started very old school, <laughs> analogical. <laughs> yeah. And you you did you took that up just on your own interests. Yes. It, it wasn't because and you then, school or something. No. Um when I was eleven, I started having English classes at school. Right. They were very basic. Um and I I would never get out of verb to be, present simple, you know, it was very grammar based as well. And yeah, eventually I, I could um, uh, enroll into a language school and then I started, I started um, uh, yeah, practicing more and that school was really good actually. We had uh, literature books to read throughout the, um, throughout the term, so I, I could acquire a good vocabulary and a good I also I'm a little bit crazy I you I used to enjoy reading dictionaries <laughs> and I liked grammar 
which people usually don't, right? So I studied a lot of grammar by myself. <laughs> wow. Well, my hats are going. I don't have my hat on, but that expression, my hat's off to you. I am not a grammar person at all. I detest those things. I, I remember in French, in Canada, the second language that you have to learn in school is French most of the time. And yeah. I remember that part, learning all the verbs and conjugating stuff. It made my eyes water like, oh, I can't do it. I can't do this. But uh, yeah, so you mentioned that you, to develop your English skills, you liked listening to the radio. You liked picking up magazines with that had the lyrics in them. You liked going to your pocket book dictionary to figure out what the words were. And you also talked about your involvement in school a little bit with uh, second language uh, learning. Over all those things, and maybe some, you probably even have a lot of things that you didn't mention, but what would you say has been the best or the most helpful thing that you have done to help you develop your English skills? Hmm. So this is a, an interesting question. I like that because I usually talk to my learners and I tell them it's not about English skills. First of all, you need to have a, develop a lot of self-awareness to, especially now that we have internet and we have so many resources and apps and so many materials. Um, so you need to know yourself, what are what your struggles are, what your strengths are, and, and start from there. And then what are your preferences? Some some people, I, I nowadays I like podcasts. I didn't used to enjoy podcasts listening to podcasts. I, I used to get lost. But then yeah. I started listening to podcasts at the gym. And then I was like, oh, this is nice. I have one hour to listen a whole episode. And that helped me so much. Uh, I felt productive because I hated going to the gym. <laughs> so I had something, something else to do. I was learning something while I was working out. I wanted yeah. to get back to that as well, uh, this kind of habit. But I still listen to podcasts when I go for a walk or I'm commuting. And I started testing audiobooks. I realized audiobooks are not as, um, I don't feel as engaged. So it feels like the same, but it's not. So um, yeah. Uh, yeah, you you should be able, patience as well. We should be patient to get to know yourself, get to know your preferences, how you learn better, what are the tools and strategies that help you out and keep looking for strategies because there are so many tutorials and tips and hints on uh, on YouTube, on, on internet, on blogs. And uh, there is so much that we get lost, but how do we find ourselves just by uh, looking inside? What are the things that I know uh, that I find it easier to do? What are the things I struggled with that I could just work on? And how can I work on those struggles? Um, if uh, I need to acquire more vocabulary, should I be reading? And reading ebooks would be better than reading uh, paperback. Um, so each person has their preferences, right? Yeah. So we need to become aware of what we like doing. Yeah. And do more of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
before that you you mentioned something that kind of made me curious you you said that when you're working with your students you don't first go to skills you go to discovering uh who you are is that what you were saying like to try to figure out uh how you work and why why is that important for you and what is there something specifically that you begin helping your students to explore first because our natural tendency is to oh i have to start working on uh vocabulary or i have to start working on grammar but you are raising an interesting difference to that that strategy like saying no first let's work on another thing could you tell us a little bit more about that like why do you do it and what do you focus on hmm. uh that's uh well, I used to work at a language school back in Brazil, and now I'm going to tell a, a little bit of my per personal story as well. Um, so when I moved to Canada, now I'm in the US, but before that, I moved in, in Vancouver for two years. I uh, During these two years, I had to discover myself as an immigrant, as a speaker of a second language. And I, I was already a teacher before I was working at a school. I was, I had my uh, certificate of advanced English. And then when I came to Canada, I felt, oh, um, I don't know as much as I thought I knew. <laughs> I mean, I know English, I know grammar, I know some vocabulary, but um, people are talking about hockey and we go to a bar and people start talking um and I cannot understand because there is noise. I'm usually in a laboratory, which is the school. Everything is silent. And we get to choose the materials. And now in real life, it feels, so, it feels completely different. I had already traveled abroad, but like living every day in English in learning about groceries and learning about uh, the way people describe food in a menu and you're expecting like lettuce, tomato, and then they say, oh, this sumptuous salad. And it's like, what is that? <laughs> um, so uh, I had to learn so much to an extent that I told my husband, don't tell people I'm an English teacher. I'm ashamed. Oh. Uh, no. And I used to be ashamed of telling these stories, but I realized my, my students were... Uh, lacking confidence and I told them look this is what happened to me and I I know it it's it's gonna happen to people at some point it's the learning process it's part of the learning process so I had to learn about myself I had to um, deal with uh, my lack of skills to certain things to to do cer certain things I would have to call the bank which I would never have that in the language school <laughs> and, and ask about my credit card issues. Um, so I realized it's not only about English. It's about the back, um, the cultural background, the context. So I want students to learn about themselves and learn about the context. They want to use English and what's helping, what's not helping them. So I decided I have, at that moment, when I started living in English, I, I changed the way I I wanted to teach. Hmm. That's a that's a really good story, and you're not the first person that I've met who 
who mentioned that have thinking that or knowing that they had a very strong level of English in the country where they're from originally, but when they set foot here in Canada or the U.S., they suddenly realize, oh my goodness, what is what is this? <laughs> this is not what I was learning. <laughs> they're they're exactly. speaking English incorrectly. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, that yeah. the same thing happened to me before. I mean, I lived in Mexico for 16 years, and before I went. I was studying Spanish for a little while here. It wasn't anything too serious. It was a very, uh, well, pathetic probably is a good word. It, it wasn't very serious at all. It was, I was just, I bought like a CD that, you know, you put into your computer. This was like way back in the 90s. Yeah. And uh, so it had all these really cool interactive exercises where I was picking up vocabulary words. and And I arrived in Mexico thinking that I had at least, you know, a raw beginner sort of level <laughs> of Spanish nope. only to realize, <laughs> no, I knew nothing. And the Spanish that I was actually practicing was Spanish from Spain, which had very little oh, to do with Spanish in Mexico. So yeah, I, I feel, I feel you <laughs> that that's that feeling of, Oh my goodness, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And um, can I ask you a question? Yeah, please do. Uh, when did you start feeling comfortable with talking talking to people in Spanish? Yes. Um, well, today it's uh, July <laughs> in 2023. <laughs> I still feel I still feel uncomfortable sometimes, and um, and that's honest. I mean, I I do get I I I definitely feel like I can do much better nowadays but i would say that it probably took me about six months to a year before i really started to uh be able to use the spanish that i had in in intelligent ways where i could you know talk to people and understand that was a big deal for me mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. uh, just feeling like i was in this bubble that i didn't understand anything going on around me it was just like chatter Exactly. That's how it. That's how it sounded like, you know. And um, but little by little, that chatter started to to make sense. It, it took a long time, but I remember that that feeling of being lost and you know not knowing what what the heck. But yeah, it took me about a year, I would say. But even now, when I try to use Spanish, because my wife and I try to use it together when we're talking, because she's a fluent. Spanish speaker being from Mexico and we have a lot of friends around us who are Spanish speakers. I mean, just yesterday I went for a coffee with a guy who's a good friend of ours and uh, we, we jumped back and forth between Spanish and English. There were, there were times where I was trying to say something to him in Spanish and I was presenting most of what I wanted to say correctly, but there were times where I was still like struggling to get, Oh, that's not exactly what I want to say or how I oh, want yeah. to say it. And I would English and it was fun, but yeah. So I haven't stopped learning. I guess you could you could say, and I haven't stopped trying to become more comfortable uh, with it. So that's probably um, getting close to twenty two years, maybe. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah, I see you nowadays. I, I I live in the U.S. I talk to people in English. Sometimes you don't find the words, but that happens in our native language sometimes as well, right? 
you don't find the correct expression that you it's on the tip of your tongue you cannot find it and but it's more i think it's more often uh, it it happens more often in our second language for sure but that you raise a really good point though that even in our first language we run into wall into walls you know we we talk ourselves into corners all those wonderful expressions on the tip of my tongue just like what you said but it's interesting what we attach to that you know when mm -hmm. i say i don't know what i wanted to say exactly in my first language and i don't attach any negative connotations about myself onto that i just like oh okay i need to think for a second before i keep going But when I'm trying to use Spanish, maybe this happens to you too, and I bet it happens to our listeners. You you run into a, a wall like that, you don't know what to say, and all of a sudden you're flooded with all these negative, I suck at this, I shouldn't be trying this, I'm so foolish sounding to the people that I'm trying to talk to, blah, blah, blah. Does that happen exactly. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I think that's why self-awareness is so important, just to track your progress and see, okay, I didn't use to... I mean, before I couldn't say anything more than nice to meet you. I can say now nice to meet you. The weather is nice. Um, and I said nice twice, but it's okay. It, people understand me. And in Portuguese, sometimes it, it, uh, when I'm talking to people, I make mistakes. And now that I'm living here, my Portuguese is getting worse. Sometimes I forget words. I don't, I don't, I can't connect. <laughs> my my brain to all the the knowledge that I've got so we start just I don't know about you but my husband my husband is also Brazilian and we did study some Spanish together sometimes we speak Portuguese with some words in Spanish with some words in English I don't even know how to call this kind of language anymore it's just a mix of yeah. uh, uh, languages and Uh, because it's it what comes first to our minds and we understand each other, but you cannot do that with other people. <laughs> but I keep I keep saying like uh, some Brazil is huge. And I think in Mexico, I don't know if it, it's that way or in Canada, but uh, if you go to different places in Brazil, people have different accents and sometimes it's hard to understand people. They use uh, specific a specific vocabulary from the region they live or sometimes they if you are in a in a noisy place it's hard to you cannot understand everything so you get out of the context um but then we do that in english and we feel frustrated oh my god i don't understand or uh i'm i'm not good enough i, I should be studying more <laughs> yeah absolutely and like when you're working with your students and you notice that this is happening to them, like when they make a mistake or they get stuck, how have you been, how, what has been the best way to help them to overcome that? And if somebody is like struggling with that themselves as a listener to this, what would you say to them? How, how can they work through that, those feelings and maybe change the words or the, <laughs> the things that they tell themselves? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, well, as you said, we've, we've, we have always, we have, all of us have been there at some point, right? Or for a long time. <laughs> so I tell them, well, I, I've been there too. I sometimes feel that way too. And 
I do a lot of pep talk with my students. <laughs> um, then we start talking about like, what if, you know, uh, we, we try to see how much progress they've made so far. There are different strategies, right? Depending on the day. And some days learners come to, uh, to the lesson, they are tired, they are stressed, and that affects the way they perform during the lesson as well. So um, I try to raise their self-awareness, yeah, self right? I, I try to help them notice what's causing them to make more mistakes sometimes or um, to look at those mistakes as part of the process or to uh, learn from those mistakes. Okay, you're making mistakes, like you always make, you always make mistakes about that. Let's review this. Let's do more exercises about this or uh, let's see that in a different way. So, um, yeah, we try to find strategies and I constantly ask them for feedback on how that's working or it's not helpful. And after some time, uh, I, I noticed that some, there, are, there is a set of skills that I can use with certain students. But we usually talk a lot. We chat a lot about what's going on. How do you feel? And have you have you noticed how much you have um, evolved from mm. a few months, from a few weeks? Uh, when you started up to now, you know, so sometimes it's important for to make them see that this this mistake doesn't represent all the learning process they're going through. Totally. And it doesn't represent who they are either. <laughs> exactly. We do have that tendency of labeling ourselves failure when we make a mistake like that. Oh, you yeah. Know? And I, I think we're, we've been kind of talking around imposter syndrome a little bit. Uh, or maybe this is a good segue. I know I'm, I'm skipping one of the questions and we'll come back to it. Don't worry. But it kind of feels like it's a natural fit to to talk about about uh, imposter syndrome, and we both have been chatting off off the air and in chat messages. We've been going back and forth about our own struggles with with this imposter syndrome thing, and I'm curious to hear from you. How do you define imposter syndrome? What is it to you, and how has it impacted you? Uh, yeah, um, this um, this is a a question that made me dig deeper. I actually bought a book about imposter syndrome <laughs> to learn more about it. I started watching videos about it, and so I would like actually to get a definition from Dr. Lisa Orbe Austin, okay. uh, who specialized her studies in imposter syndrome for um, leaders, which is very interesting. And she defines imposter syndrome as the experience uh, in which you are skilled, um, you are an expert, you have experience, but you haven't internalized that. I think that's a very simple and nice way to to explain imposter syndrome. So 
you have that feeling that you are fraud, that you're not good enough, and that you have the fear that people will find out how bad you are, how not qualified and how, how not skilled you are. And then you try to compensate your, your fear uh, working more or procrastinating or uh, self-sabotaging. And some people can um, suffer from anxiety, depression, even burnout. If you're at work <clears throat> trying to compensate for like, oh, I need to be good enough, right? Uh, so there are many, uh, many uh, consequences that can come from this feeling because it leads to actions that are not aligned with a healthy state of mind. Yeah. And how have you dealt or experienced uh, imposter syndrome in your own work as a teacher, in your life in general? How has it been impacting you? It's tricky. It's tricky. I call my imposter syndrome the gremlin. <laughs> Because it seems like a, 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 a tiny little monster that is sitting on my shoulder telling me things like, oh, you're not good enough. Oh, people are going to judge you because you're doing that. Why are you doing this? Why are you, you know, why are you even here? <laughs> so I've been training myself. I've been studying about, about not, not formally studying, but just trying to learn more about imposter syndrome and trying to seek my self-awareness on why, why am I letting my gremlin, my gremlin convince me that I'm not good enough. And I've been also tracking my progress. And like, oh, Talita from 10 years ago would never be as efficient, as productive as, you know, I, I didn't have as much knowledge as I have right now. So it's not perfect. No, I still have a long way to go. Yes. But I'm I'm the process, and life is a process, right? I think uh, there are cycles and cycles of learning, and that made me more motivated actually to um, understand the learning process, because we are going to be learning until the the day we are not we are not living anymore. We learn about death, we learn about uh, grieving, we learn about uh, a new child that that is. Uh, coming to life, we learn about everything. Learning is everywhere. Uh, we learn about relationships, the relationships with, uh, relationships with ourselves. So when we have the learning skills, we can apply that to language learning too. And frustration is part of the lear learning process. Uh, fail failure failure is is there all the time. It's it's in life and it's in learning too. <laughs> So um, I try to keep myself mindful about all those things. But sometimes my gremlin try, grows stronger and I need to just kick it out of my shoulder. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I, do, you see, do you ever see your students struggling with that as well? All the time. Um, I have one student, she's been with me. I think for almost five years now, not, not constantly. She stopped for a while and then she came back. Um, so um, a couple of years ago, she finished her master's and her professor suggested 
that she could translate her uh, her research into uh, translated to English because it was in Portuguese. And I told her, yes, you're going to do that. I'm going to help you. She said, oh, no, I cannot do it. I said, yes, you can. <laughs> so it turns out that her, her uh, research was so good that she was approved to present in an international conference in English. And she said, no, no, I cannot do that. I cannot. I said, well, people invited you. You were approved. How, how come you cannot do that? You are the expert. People are learning from you. You're going to tell them something you know, they don't know. Oh, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm not good enough. My English is not good enough. And then she, when she finished, I had to convince her that she, she made it because she was capable of it. She, she finished the whole process. She, she came back from the conference and she told me she didn't, still didn't feel that she deserved to be there. And I said, no, <laughs> you have to stop. And the, it's when it gives me motivation to tell about my story too. I tell her, I know how you feel because I feel that way too. I fight my imposter syndrome every day. So I know how it feels. So listen to me when I say, because I'm telling you, I telling, I'm telling myself and both of us need to work on that. I said, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's so amazing though, isn't it? How... Well, how destructive and persistent those those little gremlins can be, and what a negative. Well, if we let them, how what a negative effect they can have on our life. I mean, imagine your your student if she listened to those gremlins long enough and didn't go through with translating her her work into English, and then being brave enough to go and present it also in English. I mean, imagine if she never did that and exactly how her life would have been so much smaller in a way because she didn't step into those spaces where there are, I'm sure there is fear there's self-doubt and well the imposter syndrome thing too but I think that that is so true about all of us I mean I, I know I have my loud gremlins that sit all over my shoulders and they've got lots to say <laughs> and just thinking about that how like if I listen to these guys What's going to happen? And if I well, nothing is going to happen, they're they're refraining you nothing. from advancing. <laughs> they, they do keep us down, don't they? Yeah. And, um, but that's important to think about. I mean, it affects all of us. It it doesn't matter if you're a teacher or a student or a lawyer or a doctor or, um, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. You always have that possibility of listening to the wrong to the wrong influence you know the the one that maybe is designed to keep you safe but it's definitely not it's not helping you to grow <laughs> exactly exactly i was listening to a podcast saying that imposter syndrome is part of the modern world now because uh, we are stepping into so much innovation so many we don't have the safety that oh uh i know exactly what's going to happen in the future there is um artificial intelligence, there's so much going on. And this insecurity um, just from, from the outer world also triggers our inner insecurity. And I found it a very interesting uh, thought 
And that's why I think it's interesting that we keep looking at ourselves. What's triggering that? Why, why, why am I feeling that way? You know, is it really true? So we need to make sense of what our thoughts are telling us sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm reading a book right now called Soundtracks. It's by John Acuff. I didn't bring it with me. Otherwise I would have flash it up on the screen. Not that anybody in this podcast will be able to see it because it's a podcast. <laughs> but um, yeah, it talks a lot about the the soundtracks in our mind, like the the voices that we listen to, usually negative. And it, it recommends exactly what you're talking about, about when you notice that you're feeling that that gremlin speaking to you, to not just take it as the truth, but to be willing to pause take down that that gremlin look at it and have a conversation around it like what is is this thing telling me something that is true is this yeah. thing telling me something that is going to help me or is it something that's going to hurt me if i listen to it what are its intentions you know to to like to, to start examining all those uh well the imposter syndrome why is it there and what is it telling you and do you have to listen to it? That that was one of the the big arguments of the book. I, I'm not finished it yet, but I really thought that was clever, you know, to to not just take it as the truth, but to be willing to pause and and challenge it and ask mm -hmm. questions of it to to see if it's something that you really do need to listen to or or to throw away, as you say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's not a, about avoiding. But just uh, looking at it with curiosity, or try to understand where this is coming from before you you ditch it. <laughs> so, in one of our conversations, I think it was on Telegram, we were chatting back and forth. You you were talking about how you worked with other teachers to write a book, and uh, you you wrote a book. Well, a chapter, uh, if I'm getting this correctly, you, you wrote a chapter about micro learning. Yeah. And when I read that, one, I don't have an idea what micro learning is exactly. I have guesses in my mind, but I am absolutely looking forward to this part. I mean, I was looking forward to talking with you about all the things that we're talking about, but I was really curious to hear about what micro learning is and oh. how could someone learning English or anything in particular, use it. So well, actually, what is yeah. micro-learning, Well, you, you know what micro-learning is. Uh, you mentioned it in your podcast that I, I one of the episodes that you were talking about uh, reading, reading skills. I remember that, but I, I'll get to that. <laughs> so yeah, I had, I had an opportunity to work with uh, other Brazilian teachers. We wrote a book for the Brazilian uh, audience, Brazilian learners. It's in Portuguese. Um, and I wrote one chapter uh, aiming at students uh, who were in the pro who had the same profile as my students, uh, people who are um, managers. They they have a busy schedule. They don't have a lot of time to to study, or they have a very irregular schedule, uh, free time. And then I decided to write about 
uh, how can you practice English even if you have if you don't have a lot of time, even if you have a busy schedule, uh, or you can you cannot organize um, a dedicated day or time to study. So I came up with some strategies of micro learning. And by micro learning, I mean micro, like a small bite-sized learning. Right. So uh, when you have uh, access to content or to practice that takes you no longer than 30 minutes, usually I assign uh, tasks that take between uh, 10, 20 minutes, but it can be as little as five minutes or as much as a half an hour. Uh, but if you don't um, if you don't have time, just have in hand a list of things that you can do. Uh, for example, a, a six-minute English podcast um, or a short text. Uh, so if you have those list of um, content or... Um, how you can practice English. I can use my phone to record myself on Telegram, for example, or, or some other recording, some other chatting app. Uh, some people have groups with themselves so they can keep sending messages or you can get a voice recorder from your phone um, to practice your your pronunciation, your speaking, uh, uh, speaking skills. Uh, there are apps that have bite-sized content for you to read in five, 10 minutes. So all this is micro-learning. And you, when you can organize a set of strategies that work for yourself, then when you don't have time, you just come like, oh, uh, what are the five options that I have now that I have just 10 minutes to practice? So I just, I, I've been using that with my learners and it's been working really well, so I decided to write about that. Okay, and so, so micro learning is kind of like trying to take advantage of whatever blocks of time you may have, and using it. If you're trying to learn English, it'll be using it to help you to connect with a, a short article to read or to listen to a short podcast or to maybe watch something really short. Um, but basically just, if I'm understanding it correctly, it's just trying to use the spaces of time that you have in your life to try to connect more with English in a way. Exactly. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, some people have time and they can use microlearning micro anyways, but... Um, back to your first question about the students, uh, what are, what are the, the things that students should know about learning? Uh, consistency is also on my top three. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes it's better to have 10 minutes every day, especially when you are an immigrant, you know that more than me or, or as much as I do. <laughs> um, Sometimes it's it's uh, more useful or more helpful to have a constant practice a little bit every day than just having an hour once a week and not doing anything else, any anything related to a second language. So uh, if you are on social media and you watch a video uh, in 
in English. That's helpful, you know. Um, just um, I I joke with my students. They are in tech, and most of them are are gamers. So I tell them this is like an RPG game. The more points of experience you accumulate, the better you you get, you know. <laughs> so you can get you can level up by doing that. So yeah, you accumulate minutes of watching videos or minutes of reading. The more reading that you do, more words you get in touch with, you review, you learn new things, uh, uh, you practice uh, vocabulary, grammar. So um, there are like YouTube is a huge platform of micro learning. You can watch a, a class, an English class in 10 minutes. So there are many ways to use microlearning strategies for input, just watching, reading, but you can also practice. You can do a, um, you can just use your, your note app on your, on your phone and take notes, make a, a shopping list in English or um, uh, just write, write a small diary. What are my intentions for today or what are the things that I did today? So you can practice uh, future past. There are many ways to use microlearning and you don't need an hour to sit down and practice. And sometimes you are commuting to work. You can listen to a podcast. You are, um, some, some of my students used to travel on business where they would practice while they were in the airport waiting for their flight to take off. So you, you just need to build the habit to remember that if you have spare time, you can use some of those strategies. Yeah, I really like that idea. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> Look, you, you, sounds you, sounds it. light, right? Doable. <laughs> well, it is light. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah, it is fun if you find because I think that that's a mistake that students make. At least the students that I've experienced in my life is very often they think that you know, the only kind of content that is good content is a course book or, you know, course related material that is kind of like boxed as mm -hmm. language learning. But, and that's usually quite boring and very, usually not too connected to what real life is like. Mm. And uh, yeah. I think that that's a really refreshing thing to think about. Like Contact in English can be around things that you enjoy doing, like watching The Office or watching Friends or listening to your favorite podcast about history or science or, um, you know, whatever, whatever breaks your pinata, <laughs> things that you yeah, enjoy yeah, doing. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and uh, so my question is... If you're listening, let's say let's say that your favorite thing to do is to listen to podcasts. Is there something that you should do as you are engaging with that micro learning material to help you to take full advantage of it? Oh, certainly. Um, you, for example, you can practice multiple skills. Uh, you are listening to a podcast. Uh, while you're driving to work maybe next day you have 10 minutes or on the same day you can just uh, write down a summary of what you listened to uh, you need to be intentional uh, it's not just random okay you can do random uh, <laughs> uh, listening and listening to music uh, it 
it helps a little bit. But if you're intentional, oh, I'm going to listen to this podcast and try to identify, um, you know, how people uh, talk, you know, the connections, like how English is different from uh, the English from, from the books or, uh, you know, the... the The, noticing, noticing the accent or noticing the intonation, noticing uh, different elements of the speech, of the sounds of English, that can be something. How people use A in the words, apple, um, um, and then you have spade, and then you have water. So um, try to be intentional about noticing things. You know, I'm going to what I'm gonna do with this uh, with this time that's helpful and again back to your strengths if uh, your you don't have much problems with pronunciation and your writing is what you need to practice then uh, I would suggest reading a little bit more and making time for writing and sometimes, Uh, starting with the simple things, writing whatever comes to your mind or writing the grocery list and eventually writing a recipe, writing down a recipe uh, from, your, from your native land, maybe, and, and share with your friends <laughs> in English. So that's, uh, you know, find motivation and, and be intentional about what you do. And I know that for examinations, for, for certificates, not always you can do only the fun stuff. There are some tasks, but you can just mix and match. You know, it doesn't need to be all boring or all fun. You can do a little bit of both. Yeah. So that's a great segue <laughs> because the, the next question that we were going to talk about today is um, you have a lot of experience helping uh, students prepare for the IELTS exam. And I'm getting into helping students get ready for the CELPIP exam. And one of the questions that I think is a really interesting one that you brought out in our chats is, do you think that language tests like the CELPIP or like the IELTS actually help learners to become confident in communicating in English? I think that's a great question. What do you, what do you think about that? Does it really happen? I actually want to hear from you. What do you think about that? <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I think that... I think it depends. I think that um, the thing that we were just talking about, how important it is to get involved with English on everyday... Uh, for everyday purposes and, and around things that you enjoy... I think that that is, to me anyway, a more powerful way of helping you develop confidence uh, and a feeling of I'm understanding things that really matter to me. Like I'm just thinking of a, of a student that I was talking with yesterday. She had been preparing for the CELPIP exam for about, we've been working together for about three months or so. And yesterday she got her results back. And she did amazingly well. And it wasn't because of me, but she did really, really well in three of her skill sets, in the listening, in the writing, 
and in the reading. Like she was scoring 11s and the maximum score that you can get on this help of is a 12 for each of the wow. skill sets. So she scored 11 on uh, two of the skills, uh, nine on one, and the lowest one was a seven. And she felt like one, the imposter syndrome thing was just raging loud. So we had to talk about that for a little while because she was only focused on the negative thing. But like in the, there was one other person in the class. It was, it's a two person class that, that we, that we do together for this. And the other person in the class was like, so astonished that you got an amazing result. I mean, like it, it's so hard to, what am I trying to say? Like she, the, the student that had just received her test results were, was kind of somehow boxing herself into those numbers and not seeing the full, her, her full experience that she now has with English. Like all she could see were the numbers. I know that this, I mean, these exams for some people are very high high stakes, like they're very important exams for, for this person. It's part of her immigration process. So I totally get that, that the number does matter. And uh, the number means something on to a government official somewhere who's going to say yes or no to your status as a permanent resident or a citizen or, or send you back home again. So I get that part. I really do. And I feel in one way it's unfair because this person is able to, she holds a job where she interacts with people every single day in English. She doesn't hide behind her language skills at all. Like she, she's out there doing what she needs to do. And yet uh, this result was kind of like a, a, a real downer for her, I think. I don't know if I'm explaining myself very well, but I think that if you do a good job on the test, maybe you it does help your confidence mm-hmm. but if you're struggling with like an exam to me is kind of artificial because it there are so many um so many things that can go wrong yeah. when when you're actually doing the test and that's what happened to her mm-hmm. she froze because she felt nervous yeah. in one section of the test and that totally changed her whole outcome I think she could have done better if if she wasn't as nervous, but it's a, a human tendency to feel nervous when you're doing an exam. It happens to me. I get I freak out when I have to do something as big as a test and when my whole, you know, future in my in the country where I'm trying to live is kind of sitting on top of that. I mean, that's that's insane. Yeah. So, I mean, I probably am going off topic a bit, but I think it's kind of unfair in some ways. I think it's useful. You need to be able to demonstrate that you can, you know, use English in order to just for your own sake of living in an English speaking country. <laughs> but as far as improving confidence, I think sometimes if you do, I think it depends on what you tell yourself or or how others help you to shape how you interpret your your results. I think it can either negatively, like drastically negatively impact your confidence levels, uh, no matter how good you do. I mean, my student had two 11s out of 12 and all she could see was the one number that was lower. And I know I've been there. 
yeah, yeah. So what do you think? I mean, uh, I don't even know if I answer that question. No, I agree. I agree with you. I like I like uh, how you put that because it is. Uh, well, remember when I told you that sometimes my learners don't perform well because they are tired, they're stressed. If you're nervous, if you're anxious, that's gonna definitely affect. Um, and uh, referring you to reach your full potential uh, at the moment. So um, that's why I like to prepare my students psychologically. I think there is a huge psychological barrier and that's the main uh, challenge of learning a language. I think it's dealing with this psychological barrier. Uh, you know, uh, seeing mistakes as not as a bad thing, but as part of the process. And like uh, not not watching and not looking at those numbers as something that puts you in a box, that define you for sure. But there is, I mean, as much as we talk about that, I'm pretty sure if both of us would take a, a test nowadays, we would feel pretty much the same way. I said, oh, I know that I talk about that all the time. I tell my students about that, but I still feel frustrated somehow <laughs> I feel that I could have done better so I don't want to be um I I don't even remember the word that I want to say but yeah um I mean yeah I'm not lying that I I wouldn't feel the same way somehow but uh yeah but it's important it's important that we talk about it and sometimes we let learners uh, you know put that out and we we need to show them what what is beyond that we need to constantly show that that uh, it's not easy it's not easy i don't i agree with you it's not fair i actually had my pr my canadian pr denied because of ielts so i i'm really? not a fan <laughs> of this situation because <laughs> my ielts expired I, there, oh it's a it's a long story but my IELTS expired and it said, oh, you need to do all do it all over again. And then it's when I gave up. So I'm not your, uh, a, a near neighbor because of that. <laughs> well, it's our, it's our, it's our loss. <laughs> it's okay. I, I'm still co close to the border. I can come and visit sometimes. You should come and visit yeah, yeah. too. But anyways, yeah, this is, um, uh, I think uh, the process of learning can be very helpful for students, like uh, uh, preparing for the test, just having one goal in mind and keeping focused. I think that's very helpful. But uh, of course, uh, there are some other ways to, to learn that can be less stressful. And uh, if you need to do it because of your purple work, you, it is what it is, right? So let's let's try to put a little bit of micro learning and fun in the middle of that. <laughs> and how did you interpret? Or I imagine, uh, and I hope you don't mind me asking you this, but when you did find that uh, that negative result on the IELTS, which totally kind of closed the door, at least temporarily, on your on your desire to live in Canada, how did you deal with that? I was very angry, honestly, because my 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 grades were not bad. Uh, I got frustrated about my grades, but they weren't bad. I got seven point five, I guess, at the time. 
Um, and in the beginning, I was like, oh, look at my grades. How can I teach IELTS if my grades are not, you know, uh, nine? <laughs> but I was in, it was a learning process to, to deal with that. And, and I told my students, well, I didn't get the highest, highest score because I know how hard it is. So you should be aware of that too. So that's why. And, and then I started realizing because it's not a real life situation, you need to be aware of that too. You know, this is not your life. This is not a job interview. This is not um, uh, uh, socializing with people. This is not your life. It's, um, it's one process that you need to go through in order to get your paperwork done. So let's focus on that. And uh, what happens in your life, if, you, if you're able to use English in other situations, it's, it's a matter of context, right? Uh, here, you don't, it's not about your English only. It's about how you are good at taking the test and timing and, and answering the questions and knowing what type of questions they are asking. So it's a completely different thing. Yeah. I don't know if you know about it, but I, I, there are some, some native speakers of English that had to take IELTS or some other tests like that. They failed because they were just talking or doing whatever, you know, using their natural language. And they were supposed to use a framework to follow a framework for the test. So some people score, have low scores. Being uh, native na native speakers of English, so that's a proof that that's it has nothing to do with how much you can communicate and uh, understand people in English. Yeah, that's that's really important, and it's important to have people <laughs> that you that can kind of help you talk through a negative result. If you, if you didn't get the result that you were hoping for, I think that that's so important to have somebody that can kind of ground you a little bit and, you know, talk you through that whole process of, you know, this isn't like every day. Uh, I don't know. We, we just tend to generalize. I think when, when we take, when we get a negative test result, we just tend to generalize it about all of our abilities in, oh, yeah. in English. And we think, well, I just got to pack up and, and go home <laughs> this isn't working out for me but yeah we it is artificial it is not a true indicator of who you are or what you're able to really do in english and i mean nobody functions well well i'm sure there are some people that love to function under stress and but most of the people that i know don't do very well under high stress things like that like a, a big test that will determine if you will be allowed to live in a country or not. And yeah, uh, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of pressure. That's kind of unfair, I think. But that's the way life is working right now, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that, it, is, it is something that we need to be thinking through and have someone that can help us through that if we do have a negative result and how to just reinterpret the, what it means for us. I think that's that's really helpful. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, 
we are, we are running out of time. We're having so much. Well, I'm having a great time chatting with you. Oh yeah, um, me too. Do you have time for just two more questions? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I didn't get a chance to ask you this, and you asked me, so that's not fair. But how long did it take you to go from being a Portuguese native speaker to being able to have enough English skill to actually become an English teacher? How long did it take you to do that? Oh, my God. Um, so actually, I started studying English formally at the age of 15 when I was about 24 I started a job as a bilingual receptionist in Brazil and I had a Nigerian friend so I was so enthusiastic about uh, talking to her I told her oh I need to improve my speaking skills can we keep chatting uh, when we are not at work during our coffee breaks or whenever we have time she said sure eventually she started inviting me to uh parties with her friends, Nigerian friends or some from, um, yeah, some friends from other nationalities. And it was when I started just putting myself out there and try and, and I would chat with them. That was pretty cool. And I think I felt very, uh, I felt in a safe environment when people allowed me to make mistakes. I was young, so I didn't feel bad about making some mistakes. Sometimes I was pretty um, comfortable talking to people. Uh, then I started teaching after I started college and I started teaching privately. Eventually I got a job at school, but I was working with kids and beginners. And I think it's when I, I stopped, uh, I wouldn't say, yeah, I stopped studying I was I was just preparing classes and I was with my students. Um, I would do some professional development courses, but I I got my advanced English certificate, but I didn't do much more than that. And then for those four years, I was just teaching uh, at school, teaching some students, and then I moved to Canada. And then I I feel that I risked reset my button <laughs> I reset my my experience I started a new cycle of uh, relearning you know and and then I was like okay and um there is a um it's not the language barrier it's the cultural barrier that I think that was huger <laughs> and made me feel stuck you know I was just in a place that I was not familiar with people would talk about things that I didn't understand and I was learning English as I was learning a new way of life a new in a new context and and then I and then it's when I started feeling this strong imposter syndrome so I had a moment back in Brazil where I could talk to my friends. That was wonderful. But then, yeah, in, when I moved to Canada, it took me, uh, yeah, no, in Canada, I couldn't feel. <laughs> 
I think at least, yeah, the two years that I was in there, I wasn't 100% confident. But yeah, first year for sure was, was the hardest. Second year was a little bit better. And so would you say, well, how long do you think it took you to start feeling confident, like really confident with, with your English skills? I wouldn't say really confident, but confident. <laughs> <laughs> I started feeling confident maybe last year. <laughs> not not talking in English. I don't want to scare people, but um, just uh, feeling oh, feeling adjusted. You know that I can have carry on a conversation and feel that I f uh, have this uh, feeling that I I belong in here because of the language, because of the culture. Uh, I know that I, I'm never gonna be a native like a native. And that, and I'm okay with that. And I learned that it's okay to be who I am, to bring my my cultural background with me. Uh, uh, I don't want to uh, have a, like a perfect American accent or Canadian accent. Uh, I just feel that uh, sometimes I want to be able to socialize, to connect to people. And sometimes you just say, "Oh, hi, I'm good. How are you?" And just, you cannot carry on more than a 10-minute conversation. For me, that's a, a, a great frustration. So now I can talk more. And some days I, I'm tired, so uh, words fail me. And yeah, yeah it's, it's just ups and downs. We have ups and downs. But yeah, like first, years, first year in Canada was like really challenging. After that, I could just make it work, even though I was not uh, fully happy about <laughs> my performance in English, I could, I could make things work. I could, uh, I could get my issues solved over the phone. I developed some small strategies. I had a hard time spelling. I would never thought I would struggle with spelling, which is the first thing that we learn in English, the alphabet. But when you say, oh, N, and people say N or M, I say, okay, uh, how do I explain that over the phone? <laughs> and I realized there's small things that we don't give importance. We don't even know they exist when you're not living in the, uh, using the language every day. Those small things just bother you so much because they are really small, but there are many of them. Every day you, there is a micro challenge that you have to face. Mm -hmm. That's so true. There's always something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I think we, we should kind of wind down, but before we do, what, like, could you talk to us about what you are working on right now? And um, if some, if one of our listeners or many, I hope of our listeners really enjoyed listening to you and they wanted to find out more about you, how could they get involved in your world and what you are up to these days? Oh, thank you. So can I talk about my new program then? <laughs> that is absolutely the point. This is your opportunity to sell it. <laughs> talk. About okay. Thank you. Thank you. So last year I, I launched a conversation skills program 
but I'm reframing it into a three-week program, which is going to be short and sweet, and I'm very excited about it. So it's coming out in a few weeks. So if you're interested in improving your speaking skills so you can socialize and connect to people, especially if you need to use English at work, but you can use it in any any type of conversation, just... Um, Yeah, I'll be offering this and you can talk to me. Um, I'm, I'm also offering a 20-minute call if you want to chat and let me know about your struggles and we can evaluate your needs. So you can email me at contact at talitalearn.org or you can find me on Instagram Um, my Instagram handle is talita.learn. Talita.learn. Yeah. And and tell us a little bit about that conversation program. What what would someone be doing with you? Uh, so uh, that's an interesting thing. My students came to me. Some of them already have an advanced level of English. But they tell me, well, I can make presentations, I can talk to clients at work. Most of my students are in tech. And they say, well, I, the other day I went out for lunch with my colleagues and I wanted to recommend a restaurant. I wanted to talk about the weather. I, if I was so limited, I just would say it's very good. It's great. And I couldn't explain more details about it. or um, I some students uh, were going to participate in an event abroad and they wanted to connect to other people. And you don't only say, hi, this is my position, this is my work. You just you make a small talk, uh, especially when you take breaks, you have a cof coffee break. And then this is when I stepped in. I was helping my learners who were already confident Uh, speaking at work about work, but they were not them. They didn't feel themselves when socializing with other people. So I wanted them to feel comfortable talking to people, socializing. It feels small when you when you talk about small talk, but uh, it's it's the point of connection between you and other other person, and that's a big deal. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. it is a big deal. It helps you to to engage with someone that you don't know. Exactly. <laughs> so it is a big deal. Small talk trust. is actually quite big. Talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's what your program is going to be aimed at doing. Is is that right? It's helping people to develop confidence and skills uh, for small talk? Yeah, socializing uh, through small talk. Yeah. Okay. And so once again, if someone, and I hope someone in here is listening and really wants to, to jump in with you, how can they reach you again? And by the way, I'm going to include this in the show notes of this podcast. So if you are driving or doing exercise or out for a walk and you're thinking, oh gosh, I really want to connect with Talita and I just, I know I'm not going to remember her Instagram handle or her email address. Don't worry. It's going to be in the show notes and you can uh, open it up and read it at your leisure. And there'll be a, a link that you can click on to go directly to her page. But once again, how can people find you? 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> Instagram, talita.learn or email contact at talitalearn.org. All right. Well, Talita, that's, I think we, we've gone over the time that we th we thought we would. So I don't want to take more of your your precious time, but thank you so much for chatting with me today. I had a really fun time getting to know you a little bit. And um, I'm, I hope that we can do this again in the future. This was fun. Yeah, this was incredible. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And thank you, listeners. Um, keep listening to this podcast. It's great. I love listening to Aaron. The previous interview was also great. So yeah, also advertising you <laughs> as a thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. I'll send your check in the mail. <laughs> no, but, uh, so uh, thank you everyone for listening to, to, to the Speak English to the Speak English Fearlessly podcast. And I look forward to connecting with you again next Tuesday. Have a good week. My friend, are you struggling right now with yourself at prep? Does it feel like you're lost and everyone around you knows what they're doing except you? Don't be afraid to ask for help. And if you don't have someone to ask, um, hello, I'm here, and I'm not even waiting for you to ask for help. I'm inviting you to come and work with me. I'm an experienced English teacher and certified CELPIT trainer, and I can help you prepare for your exam. So if you're ready to stop feeling overwhelmed with what to study next for the CELPIP exam, And if you're ready to get friendly support and encouragement when you're having a hard time, then today is the day for you to connect with me. I want to work with you. Just go to www.selfipsuccess.com forward slash listener, and you'll get a 25% discount when you join the Selfip Success School. I'll put a link for that in my show notes, but that link again is selfipsuccess.com forward slash listener, and you will get a 25% discount. The Selfip Success School combines weekly assignments that you can do on your own with unlimited support from me, as well as weekly live coaching calls. Let's work together and conquer the Selfip exam.